What a joy it is to be with you guys again this morning. And uh, for those watching online this week, I have the mic actually attached to my face. Uh, so I won't be able to run away from a mic this week and hopefully give less trouble to the sound team. But uh, a joy to be with you guys this morning. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And uh, this is my first time getting to preach in America in quite some time. So uh, some grace would be appreciated if I'm trying to figure out the American way of doing this thing and might be a little too overly energetic for the first few times as I try to get used to the American way and see how all this stuff goes. So some grace there would be appreciated. But this morning, or actually over the next few weeks, I had the opportunity to be able to spend some time in the first half of chapter four of Philippians, an incredible portion of text that I'm so blessed and humbled that I get to walk through. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the us's and the them's in the Philippian church. Uh, and, and maybe we might even get to talk about what that might look like for us today. But, you know, it's amazing how easy it is to be divided these days with, into the us's and the them's, into our tribes or our camps. And if you're one of us, then it's just so easy. We look at the them's over there and we tend to focus on their weaknesses, right, and compare them to our strengths. We tend to have little grace and forgiveness for when they have weaknesses, but if you're one of us, well, then we tend to overlook the weaknesses and just focus on the strengths, right? It kind of goes back and forth, and it seems that we can pretty much get divided over anything these days, whether it be politics or theology or ideologies or pretty much anything. And so this morning, we want to see what Paul has to say about what's going on in the church of Philippi. So we're going to look at verses four, chapter 4, verse 1 to 3 this morning. And it starts and he says in verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So let's zoom in on verse 1. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, stand firm in the Lord in this way. So stand firm, be steadfast in the Lord, he tells them. Not in your own strength, but be stand firm in the Lord. Now, this is a reference back to earlier in the book, in chapter 1, verse 27, which we'll get to. And remember, just a basic principle of Bible study as we, as we look at the word is if you ever see anything repeated, it's really good to go back and look at what's the context of the thing that was repeated. A second good principle is if you ever see the word therefore, we need to go back and see what the word there is for, right? Because it means it's connecting those two ideas. And so let's go back to chapter 1, verse 27. And let's look at that for a second. So in chapter 1, verse 27... Uh, he's going to say, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So I put them on top of each other here, as you can see, that same language, standing firm, same language. And here in the book of Philippians, Paul's central concern is the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed through their lives, right? Paul explains in chapter 1, just before this, that he's given his life for the gospel. He's he, he given their, his own example, and he says that he suffered for it, that they're going to be suffering for it, and in fact that their suffering is going to be increasing. Well, this letter is written around 62 AD-ish, something around there, which is just a couple of years before the incredibly intense persecution of Nero is about to begin. So they haven't seen anything yet compared to the persecution that's coming. 
And so Paul is, is going on in this letter and saying he's grateful for them. I mean, this is the Philippian church, the one he brags about to everyone. But there's a major issue. The gospel is being hindered in their midst. As he goes on in chapter 2 to say, he says they're not being lights to the world. The gospel is being hindered in the midst of the Philippian church. And so he's going to get very specific and explain what's going on there. But this language about standing firm, this, this battle language, is the same language that he uses in that famous passage in, Ephip in Ephesians chapter 6 about the, uh, the armor of God. So let's go there for a second. Chapter 6, verse 13, he already said stand once a couple verses before, and then here is this famous passage that we probably all know, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand, talk about repetition, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Now here it's a, a, a different Greek word, but the same intention that he's giving, that this idea of standing firm is not a passive, just kind of waiting response. But standing firm is this battle type of language that he's using here, that you are in a fight. Do not lose ground. Stand firm, hold the line, and do not give up the fight. And the context here in Philippians, the fight that he's talking about is standing firm and living a life worthy of the gospel. Stand firm and that the gospel will be proclaimed through your lives specifically in the way you treat one another. So let's, let's jump down to, to chapter 4. We get there. And, and, and remember, as we're doing this, Paul is describing this as a battle. Stand firm firm right in the gospel and this isn't just any battle it's a battle for the gospel of jesus christ the stakes couldn't be higher and so he gets very specific here in chapter four and so let's look at verse two he says i plead with Yodia, and i plead with syntyche to be of the same mind in the lord yes and i ask you my true companion help these women since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So what do we know about these ladies, Yodi and Syntyche? We're not given a lot of information, but we do know that it seems that they're influential in the community and that they're contending with Paul for the gospel. Well, if we go back to the book of Acts chapter 16, I actually referenced it last week, that Macedonian call where Paul had on the second missionary journey. And right after that, when he's in Troas, he goes across the, the, the sea and he lands in Philippi. And the first person he comes across in Acts 16 is Lydia, if you remember that story. Lydia and the other co-workers, or other women that are with her, because there's no synagogue, there's not enough Jews. And so Lydia is there, and this group of women who start the church. And so now he's speaking to Yodia and Syntyche, and he describes them as co-workers for the gospel, contending with him for the sake of the gospel. And so a side point here, anyone that would try to dismiss this as some terrible stereotype of women bickering in church or some type of women gossiping, you have no clue about what Paul is doing here. He's not referring to minimizing some women's role. He is magnifying their role here, saying that these women were fighting for the gospel. And not only that, because of what they were doing, the gospel is being hindered in the midst of the community that's going on here. This is serious stuff. Rarely does Paul ever call out people by name. And here he does it because this is significant. The gospel is being hindered because of the way they're choosing to deal with their disagreements and walking in division. And so Paul's going to address this very specifically as a teaching moment for the church. Now, we don't know what the issue is that they were dealing with. That's not given here. 
But, and many scholars have all sorts of ideas, and so this past week I was reading through a bunch of historical background commentaries and things, trying to get some idea what might it have been. And while we can't know for sure, I want to throw out a couple possibilities of maybe what they might have been fighting over. All right, so one of the things I read was in Philippi at the time, Philippi had this terrible sickness going across the empire at the time, right? And as the sickness was going on, Yodia and Lydia had gotten together and they had made these uh, head coverings that go over the heads to prevent them from breathing and coughing on each other. And they were going around saying, everyone must wear one of these head coverings because if you don't, you don't love anyone and it means all of you don't actually care about the gospel, right? And then, and then Sigdiki, I was on the other side of the equation, and she's like, yo, I don't know what I think about this. This sickness seems like it's been way overplayed. And the Roman Empire shouldn't be shut down over a sickness that's just, you know, just not that much worse than the regular flu. And so she was saying, plus, I think Lydia's head coverings are ugly, and I, I think the Roman government's using it to try, you know, bring greater control. And so she says, I won't wear it, right? Okay, so maybe that was one possibility that was going on. But I read another commentary that had another option that I wanted to run by you. And that one was that uh, the Emperor Nero at the time was looking at transitioning out of the emperorship, right? And as he was looking at transitioning out of the emperorship, it was, in this case, it was Syntyche that was starting to get a little scared. Because Syntyche, while she recognized that Nero was a little crazy, and while she recognized that he was a little arrogant, I mean, they literally worshipped him as God, as a deity, right? So a little arrogant. And he had some moral failings. Man, she liked the way he stood up to the Roman Senate that was corrupt. She loved the way he was pulling back the persecution against the Christians. I mean, there were certain things she just liked about him, right? And then meanwhile, Yodi is on the other side, and she's been praying for this moment. Man, she couldn't stand Nero, and so she's been praying for a more dignified emperor to come into place who would, you know, restore the emperor back to its place of dignity and spend less time on the front page of the Roman Tribune, right? Okay, maybe I made all that up, but you get the point, right? So there, there, there's, there's some disagreement and some division that's happening in the church, and it's likely not theological between the two of them, but it's something that's going on that's brought division, right? And so... What do we know about what was going on in Philippi at the time? Now, we probably don't remember if going all the way back to September when we started the series. I think it was October when we started the series on Philippians. But the, the city of Philippi is famous because it's where all the Roman soldiers, not all, but many of the Roman soldiers were given basically retirement properties when they finished. And they were allowed to go there from all across the empire. These soldiers came back, retired, given land, given the status of Roman citizens, and given great privileges in this town. So we know that about it. But we, so we know it's an incredible mix of other people because in chapter 16 of, of Acts, we see what's going on in the church. And that is the first person that comes to Christ we read about is this wealthy merchant Lydia and a bunch of other women with her. So that's how the church starts. You got these Roman soldiers who are, are, are well off and then you got these wealthy Roman or uh, wealthy uh, pagan women who have now come to Christ. Next story we have in Acts chapter 16 is the story of this demonically possessed slave girl. If you guys remember that story, who's going around with Paul and his, and his buddies, and she's like prophesying over them, and, and finally Paul gets tired of it. It's a kind of a funny story, and he, and he gets tired of her, and so he rebukes the demon, and the demon leaves, and the slave owner lo loses all his money, and Paul gets thrown into prison, but this, this slave girl, demonically possessed, or recently possessed, uneducated slave girl becomes a Christian. So she's the next person we hear about. The next person we hear about in the church is this jailer who's the one over Paul and his buddies, who's been abusing them in prison to some way. And then the Holy Spirit comes, shakes open the prison doors, and they don't run away. The jailer, it says, and his whole family come to Christ. So this is our Philippian church from what we know about. Now, if you think about that dynamic of going on, where of all these pagan women, in fact, Syntyche's name literally means the goddess of fortune. 
which tells you a little bit about her own background of how she would have been raised. And it's funny that Yodia actually means lucky, or lucky, so it's lucky versus fortune in Yodia versus Syntyche. But in, in this situation, we have incredible diversity going on. I mean, could you imagine these well-off Roman, retired Roman soldiers? You got a bunch of wealthy merchants. You have a bunch of slaves. You have all these pagans all mixed in. The amount of different worldviews, the amount of different theologies, the amount of different ideologies and political understandings of, of soldiers from across the empire of vastly different tribes. It would be an incredible mix within this church at Philippi. And so it's no surprise that within a church like this, they could be struggling to genuinely love one another and deal with divisiveness. Take your pick which one it is from Yodia and Syntyche, we don't know. But in the midst of this, in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul pleads with them, and he says, have the same mind in the Lord. So what does he mean by that? Well, to do that, we have to go back, because that's a repetition from chapter 2. So we got to go back to chapter 2 and say, what is he referring about when he talks about this same mind in the Lord? So let's do that. Let's go back to chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. This is the lead into it. Again, this is just after he said that he would, they would suffer, that he has suffered. And Paul says, chapter 2, verse 1, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, he says here. Look at it here. Being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and one mind. Talk about repetition, right? Over and over and over again, but it's coming more. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here, Paul is assuming all these if clauses are true, right? So he, he's telling them, if Jesus is real, if he actually brings comfort, right? If the Holy Spirit is actively working among us, and he kind of, if you love me, he says, then make my joy complete. Let me fully rejoice. How? Well, love one another, he says, right? Love one another. Walk in humility. Let you value each other with the same value that you value yourselves. Look to the interests of others, not just to your own interests. And then he continues in verse 5. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the point that we were making earlier from chapter 4. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is the mind. Have this mind. So later in chapter 4, he's going to say, have the same mind. What is the mind to have? Here he's going to lay it out with incredible detail. This is the mind of Christ. This is the mind to have, he says. Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, so though he is the creator of heaven and earth, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, or that, that divinity is something to be held onto, those divine attributes when he came to earth. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, and being born in the likeness of men. So coming to earth as a human being, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he says, this is what the mind of Christ is. That Jesus, the God, the creator of heaven and earth, came to earth as a baby, as a human being, and gave his life for us. He put our interests ahead of his own, and he died an excruciatingly horrible death for us as humanity. The God of heaven did that for us, little human beings. 
This is what it means to have the mind of Christ, to love like Jesus loves. Now, we went through this passage back in October, and I'm sure all of us remember everything that, that Steve said about it back then. I do, because I just went back and listened to it to, to check in, right? I mean, a great word on it. And I wanted to come back to that word because this is so important. Because chapter 4 is the application of chapter 2. See, in most of Paul's letters and many other uh, uh, literature, most of the other literature out there, there's, uh, he starts with theology and he moves to application. And so in chapters 1 and 2, it's, it's a lot of theology and examples. And in chapter 3 and 4, we're getting to specifics. And in chapter 4 right here, this is a practical example where he's going to lay this out for us. Because here in chapter 2, this passage is amazing. I mean, we just sang a couple worship songs about this. I mean, I was holding back tears of just, Jesus, you've done it all for us, right? Jesus, you are amazing. You've paid the price. You did it all. And we should sing these songs. And that's, this, this is song-worthy. Most scholars say this was in a new one of the most beautiful hymns of the New Testament. Maybe Paul wrote it. Maybe he took it from someone else and, and put it here. And it's beautiful. And we should, it should make us, make us pause and stop and worship and sing of his majesty. Amen. But the the problem is that's not why that's written here in the text right here. Paul did not put this part of who Jesus is in the text so that we could stop and go, wow, Jesus is amazing. Let's worship him, though he is and we should. It's great to use it for that purpose, but that's not contextually why it's written right here in the text at this place. It's written here because Paul is addressing the pride of the Philippian church. He's addressing the fact that they are struggling to look past their differences and actually love one another. And as a result of that, the gospel is being hindered in their midst. And that's what he's caring most about is the proclamation of the gospel through their lives. And of this kingdom message, that upward call of Christ, right? And the Philippian church, they were allowing their differences to define them. They were allowing that whatever these things were, that, that were divisions, those divisions and differences were defining the church rather than being of one mind and one spirit and letting their love of Christ and one another define them, they allowed their differences to define them. And great divisions were happening in the church. And, and so Paul comes and, and he doesn't say, he doesn't say, go love each other like you love yourselves. He doesn't go say, treat one another the way you want to be treated. While that may sound good, the golden rule is great. There's no golden rule found in the book of Philippians. Instead, he drops a bomb in their midst. And he says, have the mind of Christ. He puts the bar so much higher. Love the way that Jesus loved us. That's the bar. Not just the way you want to be treated. But love the way Christ loved us, loved us, and then he gets specific. Jesus, the God who spoke the cosmos into existence, came and died for every one of you, he says. He gave it all for us. The God of heaven gave it all for us. And if he did that for us, can't we choose to love one another? So he says, have the mind of Christ. Love one another. This is what love looks like. You see, the cross is not just something that we look at to remember what Jesus did, though we should remember what he did and not forget. The cross for believers is a way of life, as the New Testament describes it. 
This is the way of life that Christ has called us to, a cross-shaped life. In other words, the cruciform life. I'm sure you've heard that before, and we'll talk a lot more about that in the future. The cruciform life, the cross-shaped life, where we follow the ways of Jesus and love as he loved. This message to the Philippians, I mean, if you, if you look at what they were dealing with, anything we're dealing with now would pale in comparison to the divisions that would have been going on in the church of Philippi. I mean, all, you think of all the stuff happening and the different worldviews and theologies and all that stuff going on that were happening at that time. I mean, c- can you imagine today if, if you were to be in a small group and your boss from work was in the same small group with you? Would that be a little bit awkward sometimes? When maybe you're trying to talk about family issues and financial problems and you're in the small group and your boss is sitting right there? Now, take that and compound it a thousand times. Imagine if you're a slave and you're part of a house church and your slave owner's in the room. Like, literally, this is what they're dealing with. A good portion of the church are slaves, and their slave owners are often right there in the room. Can you imagine that awkwardness? How do you navigate that world? And, well, Paul gives them the answer. And It's not a spiritualized answer, but he says, have the mind of Christ. Love the way that Jesus loved us. You think that the retired general or soldier is going to have a slightly different worldview than this uneducated, demonically, formerly demonically possessed slave girl? I mean, they can't even see anything the same way. And his answer is direct. Love the way that Jesus loved us. And if Jesus can come from heaven to earth and die for us, then Yodian Syntyche, you can get past whatever it is that's dividing you and put the kingdom front and center. Because it's not bigger than you. What an incredible message, right, to the Philippian church. So good. So, but yet so, so, so hard. I mean, it's a simple message. Have the mind of Christ. You can put it on a bumper sticker. Have the mind of Christ. Stick it on a refrigerator. Make a meme about it. Post it on Facebook. But it it sounds simple. Just a few words. But oh my goodness, to live this out on a daily basis. How is the wealthy, retired soldier that's worked his whole life serving the empire and is given this privilege and this status and this comfort as reward for his whole life of service for the empire, how is he supposed to respond when he's told, now see this uneducated, formerly demon-possessed slave girl? Treat her. Look after her interests just as much as your own. Love her the way that Jesus loves her. Sacrifice what you have for her. What? In that society? No one was saying this kind of stuff in that society, right? That's impossible for him to look at navigating those things. And Paul's answer over and over again is the same. Love as Jesus loves. And he knows it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a battle. Which is why he keeps saying, stand firm. You're going to have to fight for this. But again, the stakes couldn't be higher because this is about the proclamation of the gospel through their lives. This is the upward call. It's so good. Amen. I mean, we could just stop here and go to worship and, and just say, Jesus, thank you for a great message to the Philippians. Or we could take a couple minutes and say, Jesus, what are you saying to us? Because is it possible that this message might be real for us today as well? Is it possible that today we may get stuck in these us versus them traps? Is it possible that we look at people in our group and the us's and and, and we have great grace and, and it's easy to overlook their weaknesses? But we look at the them over there 
I look at their weaknesses and I compare them to my strengths. I look at their failures and I compare them to our successes. Right? And it's so easy to label and dismiss. I'll be honest, for my first sermon here at Northview, I didn't really want to talk about things that divide us or get practical about it because it's a little bit of a dangerous territory to walk into to start calling some of these things out. And so I'm going to ask for your grace as I do that, and I, and I hope I get to come back next week. I'm going to be gentle. Uh, if not, it was a great run. We, we, we had a good week, and uh, I'll be putting out my, my, my resume next week. We'll see how it goes. But, no, I, I, but, but let's just be real and be honest about what, is, what does this look like today? Okay, can, can I go there? What about this thing? Right? This thing that somehow this has created so much division, this mask. And, and I'm not saying, pick a side, I'm not saying that at all, but whatever it is, your opinion on it, this thing, churches have split today over this thing. And so whatever side of the equation we come down on, whether, whether you're of one side and you look at the, at the other side over there and you, and you look at them and you see, oh, those are progressive liberals that are, you know, just, just, just been brainwashed by the fake news and, and, and they're subscribing to, a, to, a, to this, 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 this terrible progressive agenda and that's why they're wearing them. Or you're on the other side, you're looking at the other group, and you're saying, oh, those are conspiracy theorists who don't believe in science. And, and you have your other views, and you've labeled them and dismissed them. Regardless, and, and hopefully we're not in either camp of those, but the ease that we have to label and dismiss is so simple. Or, or maybe it's, it's not mask. Maybe it's another issue today. What about politics? Again, I'm going to be gentle, but what about politics? This one scares me. But it's real. It's just happening around us, right? So... Let's say that you were, you, you were someone that, that supported the, the newly elected president, right? And, and, and when you look at those people that, that, that were supportive of the former president, maybe it's easy to dismiss them and, and see those people as, I don't know, Christian nationalists who worshipped at the idol of Trump, and, and maybe they support systematic racism and white privilege, and you put them into a category. Or if you're on the other side and you're looking at, at those who support the current president, and you're seeing those people, and it's so easy to label them with whatever terms it is, of maybe they're baby-killing communists who want to destroy our country and, and race-baited every single chance. Whatever labels and dismissiveness we put on it, there's so much that we allow it to divide and easily start labeling people and creating these massive fault lines between one another. I mean, we can pick any issue. It's so easy and really dangerous for a preacher to do that, but, so I'm not going to get specific, but I mean, we, we, we could talk about Black Lives Matter, we can talk about LGBTQ, we could talk about immigration, we could talk about homelessness, we could talk about gender issues, we could talk about the magic of Harry Potter versus that of Lord of the Rings, there's an important one. We, we, could, we could talk about worship styles, we could talk about, I don't know, Pete Carroll's insistence on the run when he's got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time working behind him, right? Things that matter. We could talk about Chick-fil-A versus Popeye's. I guess that one's not really up for debate. I mean, Chick-fil-A is clearly a better restaurant, but come on now. Put a Chick-fil-A spiky sandwich next to a Popeye's chi spicy chicken sandwich, and there's no one who can taste the difference and not tell me that Popeye's comes out worlds ahead. I'm sorry, I might have just gotten kicked out there. But, um, right? there, there's so much that we allow to divide us. It, there's just, it's so easy these days that we do these things. And it's not that these issues don't matter. Obviously, some of these issues matter a ton. I mean, seriously, Russell Wilson had one bad game. Like, one bad game against the Cardinals. First half of the season, he played incredible, was throwing the rock like crazy. One bad game, throws three picks. They take the ball out of his hand, and they go back to the run game the way it was the last few years with the same results without the Legion of Boom. I mean, come on, seriously? Sorry, just my pain piece. Um, but, uh, right, so what, what is Paul saying here? He's saying we have to beware of these divisions that happen between us. 
And we allow these divisions to divide us. And he says we must have the mind of Christ. Because if we don't, just like Yodi and Syntyche, we stand in the way of the proclamation of the gospel. And it's like we're standing in the middle of this river of what God is doing and his intention for mankind. And it's like Yodi and Syntyche are standing there trying to hold back the flood, hold back the tide. And the great news is, as God shows us, he doesn't actually need us. Right? God can use a donkey just as well as he can use the prophet Balaam. Right? He doesn't actually need us in that, but we have the privilege and the opportunity to be part of God's plan to reconcile all humanity to himself. We have the freedom to jump into that river and say, God, I want to work with you. Give me your mind, Joe Jesus. Give me your mind that I can love as you love and that we can be part of seeing his gospel proclaimed to the world of this upward call of seeing the kingdom expand through our lives as we choose to love as Christ loved us, as we choose to have his mind in all situations. It's just, it is amazing how true this message is, and yet how difficult we find it to live it out. And to have the mind of Christ doesn't mean that we agree on everything with one another. I mean, could you imagine Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector in the same group of people? For those who don't know, Simon the Zealot literally, literally wants to murder anyone who supports the Roman Empire. Murder. And his buddies were murdering people. That's what they did. Now he gets, Matthew comes to the equation with Jesus. A Roman tax collector, literally exploiting the Jews on behalf of the Roman Empire. Simon wants to kill him. Why doesn't he? How can they be together? Because Jesus comes in their midst. And as Jesus comes in their midst, even, it's not a small issue, believe me, Simon's issue wasn't small. We're talking massive issues that Simon had, real issues. But when Jesus steps into his midst, all of a sudden, the gospel, the kingdom of God in their midst, right there at the center, all the other things start fading away as they see the gospel in Jesus' life and the kingdom right in their midst at work. And all of a sudden, those other things begin to fade to the sidelines. Not that they don't matter, but no longer is it creating division between the two because Jesus is right at their center. Paul doesn't say it's going to be easy. He knows it's hard. And that's why over and over again, he keeps saying, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. But again, the stakes can't be higher. This is the gospel at stake. Being proclaimed through our lives. Nothing is more important. Changing someone's mind on whether they wear a mask or don't wear a mask or how to wear a mask or whether they, they think the election was stolen, whether it was a landslide victory or whether to vaccine or not vaccine. All these things, while may seem important, they pale in comparison. They pale in comparison to this upward call of Christ to live our lives and proclaim the gospel through our lives and genuinely love one another regardless of how we differ. To proclaim, I keep saying, I'm going to keep saying it, proclaim the gospel with our lives. To have the mind of Christ. And that doesn't mean we don't confront sin. It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth in love. That's one of the most abused phrases in scripture. But when we confront, when we speak, 
Are we able to say from the bottom of our heart, can we honestly say that as we approach that person and we speak with them, can we say, I love and care for this person with far more intensity, far more intensity than anything that I disagree with them with? Can can we agree with Paul in chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, with humility, consider the interest of others higher than yourselves. And so when we approach someone that we disagree with, can we honestly go before them and say, I love this person, I care more about them and their interests than I care about what I disagree with. And when we finally actually speak to them, do do they know it? When we actually bring about a word of disagreement, does that person we're speaking with, do they feel and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I care for them far more than I care about whatever we're disagreeing about? Or than I care about being right? Is that how they're going to feel? Do they know that I love them with the love of Christ? And not just in words, but can they genuinely sense it in my language and how I approach them? Because let's be honest, church, we're often not very good at this. Unintentionally or intentionally, whatever it is, it seems that we so often walk these fragile fault lines of divisions that are going on in our midst, and there's so many of them. And rather than walking them with gentleness, that's actually next week, verse 5 of chapter 4. But rather than walking them with gentleness, I was just praying, I had this picture, we're walking with a jackhammer, just breaking open these fault lines as we as Christians walk these places of great, great sensitivity. And some of us even revel in widening the divisions. We call it stirring the pot or dropping sarcastic comments in that only increase divisions. Tell me, church, how can we reconcile this? How can we reconcile increasing divisions with having the mind of Christ? How can those fit in the same box? How can they fit in the same person as children of God? That we would leave room for increasing division when our call is to have the mind of Christ. And let's not even talk about what we do behind a keyboard. Imagine what a difference it could make, church, if we actually attempted to love this way. I'm not saying we actually do it if we just attempted to do it, right? If we had far more failures and foibles and successes, if we just tried and made an attempt to say, whenever we feel negativity or criticism or judgment towards someone else, rather than immediately assuming the worst about them, if we said, Jesus, help me have your mind for this person. Oh, Lord, let me see them the way that you see them, Jesus. Before we go speak to that person or type that message out on Facebook or or even as we're watching the news, whatever it may be, and we say, Jesus, Lord, give me your mind. Can you imagine what a difference that would make? Rather than blow them off or judge them, rather than assume the worst of their intentions or assume the worst about their education, but to actually say, Lord, show me how to love this person like you do. Even if, even if, I, I, I don't know, they think Jar Jar Binks was a stroke of creative genius, right? Okay, maybe Paul couldn't even get that far. But, but regardless of whatever the thing is that divides us, right? Regardless of whatever it is, we must seek first the kingdom. Jesus is in our midst whether you acknowledge it or not. We're going to talk more about that next week too. And we have to seek to have the mind of Christ. 
And if you're sitting here and you're like, yes, amen, they need to hear this. Oh, I hope so-and-so is listening to this because they are so judgy, right? I mean, have you seen their Facebook post this past week? Oh, my goodness, right? I, how, how do I slyly send this to someone? Well, this message is for us even more then. Because Paul is not writing the letter of the Philippians primarily to Yodia and Syntyche. He's using their example as a testimony, as a reflection of the rest of the church. Here in this letter, Paul isn't just writing it so that they get their act together. He's writing it so every person can ask the question and say, Lord, where have I been a part of sowing division? Jesus, where am I not actively loving others with the love that which you loved me? Paul isn't writing this for the thems out there. He's writing it for the us's, right? He's writing it for us to be able to recognize that we've been part of this and that we've been contributing to this, however small or great, and that we have a responsibility, a call from the Lord to stand firm and fight this battle and to not give up now more than ever. And so an application for this, one of the things I've been doing, and I'd highly recommend if you want to go out and uh, uh, take a leap this week and try something new if you've not done this before, I've been practicing an old spiritual discipline this last week and a little more than a week now as I've been kind of prepping through this. And it's kind of a twist on the Ignatian form of the prayer of examine. And one of the things I've been doing is each morning just sitting with the Lord, just being in his presence and just saying, Holy Spirit, right now, would you recall to my mind? And I look forward, over, I look, kind of review the previous day. And I say, show me, where did I struggle to value others as much as I value myself? Where did I struggle to love others the way that you loved us? And I just kind of review my previous day and think of all the people I interacted with. It's pretty revealing, I'll be honest. And so as I'm doing it, maybe it was a politician I saw on TV that I judged. Or maybe it was the homeless guy that I drove past in my car without acknowledging the human dignity of that human being and just drove past them. Or maybe it was the, the super duper chatty lady at, at Safeway who was checking out my groceries and just wanted to get in a full life story of everything that's going on. And, and I was just trying to get home after a day of work. Or the one that really hit me this past week. As I was recalled, it was at the point of tears. And it was, it was my son. As he had come in, as I was preparing this very sermon. And he kept interrupting me saying, Daddy, can we just play a puzzle? Daddy, why won't you play a puzzle? And he walked away in tears. Because I wouldn't give him time. And then after doing that, I go back to the Lord and I say, oh, Jesus, give me your mind. Show me how to love as you loved us. And then I think through the day that's to come and I kind of map out my day and the people that I'm going to meet. And I say, Jesus, show me how to love the way that you loved me. Man, it's a beautiful exercise. I can't recommend it enough. It is so good for just getting into the heart of God and actual people in your daily life. But maybe that's not for you. Maybe another application for you would be, honestly, maybe you just need to take a break from Facebook or social media if it's sowing division in your heart and it's widening these, these cracks and these fault lines in your heart. Or maybe you need to spend some time in prayer this week before you go meet with your friend or coworker or family member. And just beforehand, you just armor up as chapter six and stand firm and say, okay, Lord, I need your mind, the helmet of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. I need this gospel of peace, Lord. Help me as I walk into this scenario to love as you've loved us. 
Or maybe some of us, maybe the reality is we just need to repent. Because we've been sowing division. And we know it, that we've had that jackhammer out in multiple relationships. And the Holy Spirit's just saying it's time to repent. And repentance isn't a four-letter word. It's not a dirty thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's finding freedom. Or, or maybe some of us, maybe we've been living in a bubble of comfort recently. And this pandemic, yeah, I mean, it's not been fun, but it hasn't affected us negatively so much. We're pretty well stocked. We got three things of Costco toilet paper in our shelves. We got plenty of wipes and all the aerosol spray we could use. And, and we're doing pretty well. And maybe the Holy Spirit might be saying to you, consider the interests of others. Look beyond your family because your community is bigger than that. And, and step outside. And what does it mean to sh- look at the interests of others as much as you look at the interests of your own? May we together listen to the words of Paul as he pleads with us. I plead with you, he says. Stand firm. Recognize that we're in this battle for the proclamation of the gospel through our lives. And may we together seek to have the mind of Christ and to love one another with the same love that Jesus loves us. Amen? So, Father, oh, Jesus. Your words are so true, Lord. And sometimes it just feels overwhelming, like what can we do? And what we can do is the same word you gave to them. We can seek to have your mind, Jesus. We can seek to love as you called us to love. We don't have to love the whole world and all the way of perfection, but we can choose to love the people right in front of us, starting with our family, our neighbors, and those around us, Lord. Jesus, break our hearts for the things that break yours. Give us your mind, O Lord, and may we see you at the center of every division. And may we come and align ourselves to you, your kingdom, your gospel, your peace. Amen.